episode number 17 of the Video Game History Hour presented by the Video Game History Foundation. Every episode, or normally every episode I should say, we'll be bringing in an expert guest who's done their research and has an interesting story from video game history to tell. This week we're doing something a little different, but I think you guys are going to enjoy the discussion. And he's still an expert, so... My name is Kelsey Lewin, I'm the co-director of the Video Game History Foundation, and I'm here as always with Frank Cifaldi, the founder and co-director of the Video Game History Foundation. That's me. Our guest today is Ian Simons from the National Video Game Museum in the United Kingdom. In 2020, the NVM started a project called the Animal Crossing Diaries, which is collecting personal stories from players of Animal Crossing New Horizons. I actually think the website uh, sells the concept best with this sentence. While the world was on pause, the island paradises of Animal Crossing New Horizons thrived, welcoming those in isolation with open arms and paws. Ian, welcome to the Video Game History Hour. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. So just to start off, tell us about the Animal Crossing Diaries project. Sort of where did that come from and, and what's the goal here? Um, so the project came about for us from a call. Um, there is a uh, art funding trust called the Esme Fairburn Trust um, in the UK and possibly beyond that's like particularly interested at the moment in finding uh, ways for memory institutions, for histories, for, 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 for museums, for galleries, like to find ways to try and make sense of the pandemic, to try and make sense of what people's lives were going to become, of how their stories were going to change during this. Um, and there was an open call to try and find like di- different ways to, to, to codify, to capture that experience, but particularly in a way that would involve collecting and interpretation. And, you know, and, and as you said, the, the, the serendipitous thing that, that, that happened, right, was Animal Crossing came out on March the 20th, certainly in the UK, and our, in the UK, went into national lockdown um, three days later on March the 23rd. So, so if you are attempting to tell stories about the meaning of video games in people's lives in particular, as we are, I mean, that's our, that's our particular interest as, as a museum. This is the perfect moment um, to begin to, uh, to, be, to, to begin to work out how to capture and preserve um, these stories that, that because it's Animal Crossing, they're already, you know, innate, innately kind of uh, uh, social and, uh, you know, they're kind of about community and friendship and about kind of being together at a time when no one can, no one can be together. Um, so that was the invitation. So we responded to this open call to think about different ways of collecting in this pandemic with this idea, because um, by this, this point, it's fairly early on, I think, in the, in, in the, in, in coronavirus, um, but with this idea that we would use Animal Crossing as a way to uh, to think about what video games meant um, in this time when no one could when when no one could meet, um, and because it was because it's such a kind of intimate social game, it was a perfect um, perfect candidate for doing that with. What I find uh, particularly compelling about this project is that I think collectively we I don't know, meaning the human race, I guess have have. Mm-hmm. Uh, not really done a great job of evolving what preserving a video game means uh, with the times. And this to me is preserving sort of the cultural aspects of New Horizons, which I think is maybe more important than the playable game itself. Yeah. So, so uh, 
I mean, I hope so. So, so a core question for us in all the work that we've done from, you know, from Game City Festival through the MVA in Nottingham to the museum in Sheffield has really been, I guess, just like backing up a bit on our assumptions of what it actually means. Like, what do we need to do in order to preserve the meaning of a video game? And I guess most importantly for us is this kind of slightly... Um, counterintuitive suggestion, really, of, of do, do you need to be able to play this video game in the future and able to understand what it meant, right? Because any, anyone who's begun to engage in software preservation and emulation and, you know, the capturing of ROMs and Bitstreams and, uh, and then kind of rec- recreating those in galleries, like immediately discovers um, how 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 both how kind of fascinating and um, kind of creatively and technically interesting that is, but also how legally impossible, it, or not impossible, but how, how difficult it is, right? And we're a pretty small institution, and we're, you know, we are in awe of much of the work that's being done around the world, but we are not in the position where we are able to begin to solve, you know, the global IP challenges of a um, of an industry like video games. So, so there's like there's a realistic thing here where we just don't have enough lawyers to solve this problem. But there's also uh, people who are frankly much better at that than us. So, so coming from the background that most of the people at the museum do, which is tends to be kind of arts people that are interested in video games, um, it, it, like a natural course for us in a way to you think about well how, how can we begin to make a contribution how can we think about this in a way where we you know we, we can have some sort of impact um was to uh, was to confront that question really so if if we accept that at some point in the future you know all, all, all the switches will have disappeared right because they're made of plastic and they'll turn to dust and we won't be able to play them anymore at some point it's a terrible thing to contemplate but you know there you go we're we're we're, 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 we're adults um that's gonna, that's gonna happen um in the face of that, and the fact that at some point we won't be able to play everything on original hardware because it's like it's literally not physically possible, um, how do we begin to capture the meaning of a video game, of any video game? Um, these incredibly, you know, kind of unstable, chaotic things that nobody even really knows kind of what they are. How do we develop strategies for preserving them, for telling stories about them that aren't contingent on, um, on them being playable? And that's really been um, been our approach um, in all the work that we've, we, we've been doing. And I think the Animal Crossing project is is particularly interesting because it's so predicated on a certain kind of storytelling that's already, you know, kind of social and warm, um, but also carries many of the questions. If I, in some respects, it's kind of most complicated, you know, kind of game to begin to attempt to kind of preserve or archive, uh, because of what it is, right? It's it's completely, um, completely emergent in terms of the experience that people have in it, and which makes it the, a the perfect game for a pandemic, um, and super interesting to talk about and think about. Um, but yeah, a kind of interesting test case in terms of uh, asking the questions of how do we begin to preserve this stuff. Yeah, I think this is kind of the the perfect game to start exploring that question of, you know, to get people thinking about what does it mean to preserve a video game? Because Animal Crossing is, without the community and without the communication and sharing aspects of right. this game, not, I mean, especially New Horizons, this newest one, but really going right. all the way back to the beginning. I mean, it's just not the same experience without the community that surrounds it, because that is kind of what's driving the 
creativity and the content, you know, the game itself, I mean, even fans of Animal Crossing will tell you, doesn't have all that much happening. And it's kind of up to the players to, uh, you know, sort of out of this sandbox type thing, build things and share things and and create those experiences. Right. So even Absolutely. having the game, even if we have a bunch of switches in the future and they're still fine, I mean, it's just it's yeah. not going to look like a very interesting or compelling game if you don't have this sort of contextual, uh, completely cultural stuff. And, and and this is the thing I think I, I suppose I think this gets overlooked in conversations about video game preservation a lot, right? And unless I mean, just Animal Crossing to like to one side at the moment because that's right at the far end of complexity, you know, and as you say, in terms of. It, 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 it being you know so adaptive and so kind of emergent and so contingent what people do but like even even if we were talking about i don't know you know uh defender right even if we were going to preserve defender as a, as, as a as a as a as a simpler if you like kind of artifact in terms of its design like whose defender are we going to preserve like whose experience of that should we be um should you know should, should we be capturing because the reality is like i'm terrible at defender okay so i find it i find it frustrating and i die immediately uh, but but you know but but i happen to know frank is amazing and we could capture frank's playthrough of it and he's this virtuoso performance of you know of picking everybody off and using the smartphone <laughs> and this oh, is to clarify real quick I'm, I'm i'm actually terrible at defender please continue <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I picked i picked i picked the wrong uh i'll, I'll keep no no i'm also terrible this is weird. <laughs> all right we're a podcast imagine, full of terrible imagine... people at defender Imagine one of us was good at Defender. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I will do my best. I'm thinking about indul- it. Okay. Indulge me for a second. Um, like the, the the just the kind of instability and complexity and difference in those two different accounts of what of what Defender is or what that means are, are radically different. So if we're going to begin to capture and preserve preserve gameplay um we 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 have to begin to kind of ask the question of whose whose version of the game is it that we're going to capture because this is this isn't the same as you know preserving sorry i know i'm preaching to the choir here but it's like it's a it's a sort of it's it's an it's an interesting to often overlook right this isn't the same as preserving you know sergeant pepper okay um because sergeant pepper has, has pretty much been the same it might get remastered but it all runs in the same order and we can all have like the same kind of ob- objective experience even if we might interpret that differently but that's just not the same for video games um and the more complicated they get um the less stable that definition of even even like what animal crossing is you know um a, a kind of open open for contention so so yeah, that like for us, that's the really interesting part of the story of games. It's not it's not bound up in the um, you know in, in 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 the playing of them necessarily. It's 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 where they sit in our in our homes and in our lives and and the spectating of them and the purchasing of them and the frustrations of them and you know all, all of those stories that um, that surround these 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 things. I actually think I might disagree with the Sergeant Pepper analogy because I don't think listening to Sergeant Pepper cold right now without context gives you nearly the experience that uh, one might have had, you know, in the height of Beatlemania. Uh, and and when the idea of a concept album, right, was, was not right. really a thing yet. And um, I think that's what I 
appreciate about, you know, sort of logging this cultural experience as it's happening. I mean, um, we, we just mentioned earlier this idea of, you know, you know, being able to play Animal Crossing in 100 years or whatever. Yeah, the game works, but you're not really understanding it. I mean, I think, you know, for me, an analogy, an analogy right now would be just sort of like watching a 1920s silent film in isolation on your TV, right? You don't, you don't understand the concept of moving pictures being new. You don't really understand, you know, how the audience for this was probably like dressing up in their best clothes, right? And being yeah. in a room with other people with a curtain drawn and an organ player and stuff like that. And, um, and therefore, you know, people think of silent film as being the sort of, I mean, I, I, I don't watch silent films because they're boring to me. And, and I think that's why. So, but, but my point I'm making is, isn't about the surrounding context of that, right? My point is yeah. about, even if you listen to Sergeant Pepper in, um, in I've forgotten what year it came out, 67, um, the track listing, the, 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 like the audio content of Sergeant Pepper re- like remains stable. So whether you right. listen to it then, that's around the culture or listen to today, the track listing is the same and, 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 and like by and large, the audio content is the same. If you play Defender and I play Defender, we, we, we have, we could have completely different experiences. Right. What I'm saying is the, the like fundamentally the thing that we are trying to preserve, even though they're both called Defender can be completely different. Whereas Sergeant Pepper remains, it has the same running time. So, so, so you know, I completely agree with your point about the surrounding context. Like, absolutely. But, but I'm talking about the thing itself right. being much, much less stable um, than any assumptions that we can make about, you know, a, a silent movie or a Sergeant Pepper or, or any basically kind of stable media. And, 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 and that's the thing that is so difficult and so i mean I, I i don't know if this is true of you guys but but certainly for me the thing that i find most kind of seductive about video games and most exciting about them is that they're just the wild west still right nobody really knows what they are nobody owns what they are nobody knows what they should be what they could be what they look like what they sound like it's really really exciting um but from a from a i guess from a kind of preservation point of view um also really slippery right to you know to attempt to try and pin down this this thing um to you know to capture kind of what it is what it means what it looks like when all our experience of them are are by and large completely unique so you mentioned uh an arts background and i recall from an earlier conversation with you that the museum sort of came from that right yeah so we so like many people working around this, I, I worked in, uh, like prior to game stuff, I, I worked in theatre um, for for the best part of a decade and then kind of drifted into into new media and, you know, the kind of internet at the time everybody did with, with kind of Windows 95 and CD-ROMs and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and, um, and, I, and I guess sort of found a way into video games through the arts when pe- like people were doing like really early VR. Do you remember Active Worlds and those things? Um, oh, I sure and, do. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and there was this kind of moment where everyone, it's just like the pre-Second Life stuff where everyone was yeah. incredibly excited about, you know, being able to carry a ladder together through a virtual space and they, like those kinds of things. And, uh, and I've, I've only ever been at the, at the kind of, um, you know, edges of academia but um the thing that i observed peering into academia when everyone was getting excited active worlds at that time was was this a, was around the same sort of moment um that quake um 
was um, becoming popular. And, um, you know, and you looked at this stuff and just thought, this is a really, really robust, synchronous 3D environment um, that seems to me to be a thousand times more stable than this 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 stuff that the kind of academic fraternity and this is like pre-game studies you know a kind of academic guys were playing around with okay so you need you like you need to take out the you know take out the chainsaws and stuff and there's there are clearly kind of genre trappings in that but once you look through that you you kind of see this um this both kind of technical and conceptual and imaginative world that just seems like far ahead of the stuff that was being done in the in this kind of arts sort of academic sort of circles. So so that sort of rekindled my interest in in video games. Um which you know which I had as a kid with kind of Jeff Minter's work and Commodore 64s and all that sort of stuff. Um but ended up kind of leaning into them again and 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 I met a guy uh called James Newman. Um, Professor James Newman now, who had just written a book called Video Games, which was the first kind of game studies book uh, for Routledge. So this is this is right at the beginning of of, of that stuff with Gonzalo Frasca and those guys starting to do um, the ludology site and some like just really laying the kind of groundwork for um, um, for what game studies is now. So just before the ludologists and the narratologists started having that you know West Side Story kind of uh, kind of standoff um, and. Um, uh, it's like the, the world's rubbishest gang battle, um, and um, th- this, 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 yeah, th- th- this kind of world from an arts perspective seemed really interesting. No one was really writing about this stuff for that, you know, that sort of more mainstream sort of culture press. So I, I ended up. Um, so I met Jimmy. We we did a book called "Difficult Questions About Video Games." Um, and, and when was this? Where, where are we in the well, timeline? This is like two thousand and four, I think. Got it. Um, got it. So yeah, so so that was it was a kind of edited collection where we asked a whole host of developers and game studies people and and players some really really simple questions. So the questions like, "What is a video game? How can you tell if a video game is any good? What is cheating?" Um, you know, that like the, like seemingly really childishly simplistic questions, but if you kind of lead into them for for a few moments, they, they actually are incredibly complex and incredibly difficult to answer. And mm-hmm. and that and that approach and that that kind of book went quite well. And this idea of a, a kind of slightly different, certainly the UK conversation about video games that was um, in some respects kind of less about the um, uh, I suppose sort of soft software itself, I suppose, or the kind of, you know the kind of game itself, and more about the idea, like the idea of what they were and how they were made, became became really interesting. So, so um, on the back of the book, I pitched the Southwark Center, um, which is like I guess a sort of Lincoln Center in in in, in New York for you know for kind of London. This idea of doing a um, a um, a video game festival, like a two day thing. Um, where we would get the people that made video games to come and talk about them. So this is now 2005, and I'd been so I kind of skipped a bit where I started freelancing and writing games journalism stuff. But so, so you know, you, you kind of I started writing about games and went to E3 and those sort of spaces, you know, and and just found them awful as um, <laughs> places to like if you like games, why would you like why would you do that to them? And you, you just and well, hang on. I, what, I, what do you what do you mean by that? Do what to them? Put them in this 
in this hangar um where oh, did, the, you, did you go to wait was your first e3 the the weird airport hangar one uh, my first E3 uh, was the year before the Wii reveal. So okay, because there was one year where they were in airport hangars, and it was oh, a really, really odd one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right, I missed that. That's not quite. But no, this was just in the convention center. But yeah, it felt, it. like felt felt like a, the hangar, right? And um, you know, and and it's and and for like half an hour, it's obviously the most exciting thing you've ever seen, and it's kind of sensory overload, and it's really exciting. And then you realize, oh, hang on. This, this this is this is actually this is this is a this is a hellscape and i can't hear what anybody's saying and i can't and you know and the person that played the thing in front of me has left it playing and it's in the middle of the game and i don't know what it is and what's happening and there's no all the context that you talked about before is like it's completely stripped away and it's basically like a bunch of you know marketing people shouting at each other over you know over 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 an, over a kind of abyss and um and not just basically not a good place to um uh to experience games and, and really not a good place to kind of learn about them and then when you try and do if you were trying to write about games at that time and i don't think this is so true now but certainly back then if you ever wanted to talk to developers um the you know the, the the kind of PR sort of mediation to get to developers to have a conversation with them that wasn't just about you know whether you can do a double jump in the new Tomb Raider game or not um, was was like impossible you know um, and so that's just struck me as really really weird um, so sorry I'm rambling now but 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 the idea of the idea of Game City um, was to try and this is the kind of the, the event and then the festivals that, that we did was to try and celebrate the fact and explore the fact that games are made by people which again is a stupidly simplistic um thing to say mm-hmm. but like that's not completely apparent if you are a consumer and, and we still have this now at the museum right this idea that games are made like on purpose um <laughs> completely blows some of our visitors' minds because you never like if you're a parent of somebody that's into games, you know, and you only encounter them kind of through your kids. There's no way that you would know that, right? Because they don't have names on the front of the box anymore. That like those days. Are, I mean, with a few exceptions, those days are kind of long, long gone, right? Um, and this idea that these things are a series of you know really complicated decisions that a bunch of really creative plural skilled people have made it's just kind of you know it's kind of lost and and the games industry you know by and large doesn't participate very well in so I, i'm gonna i need to be i, I can stop I, I tend to ramble no on, i mean so no I, please please and, but, and, like there's a real there's and, a real and, problem. and confirm the the journalism uh, struggle from that time for sure yeah and, and, and so you have this thing where like You've got the one kind of discourse coming out of the games industry where it's going, where is where is big as film now? Because whatever it was that you know, <laughs> we're real you know, art for real. Yeah, oh, geez. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but the metric for that was always sales, right? So you'd go, well, the latest yeah. GTA or the latest Halo is as bigger than Spider Man or bigger than the latest Harry Potter. Like, ergo, um, we're now mainstream, so that's that's cool. So, um, you know, and, and we're art and all those sorts of things. But the, but the metric that the industry used 
then, and I said, it's only a bit better than this now, has always, has always only ever been economic because it's not, it's had this kind of lack of cultural confidence mm-hmm. where it really struggles to kind of like to participate, which is largely, you know, because it's it, like, like it, it's an art form that historically has generally marketed itself like it's, uh, you know, chicken nuggets, right? Um, and and the problem is like the, you know, the, the kind of language by which they've been sold to people has, has not, necessarily um uh joined up with you know the kind of qualities of what they could be and i, and I don't mean this and i'm not suggesting this now needs to be coming like desperately po-faced and not and not fun that's that's not incompatible with fun um but it, but every now and again it's useful i think for them to become like confident and um And generally, I think the kind of way that games PR has been run over the last few decades has been really, really poor at that. It's been really bad at um, at joining in with a broader, you know, with that broader kind of cultural conversation. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like I'm just kind of thinking back to my own experiences in in journalism and things like that. It's almost like... um, a fear of admission that things are made by people, you know, and, and that uh, there's a journey that gets us there, you know, like people, even if it's a mistake that was fixed before you see it, right. Is it, it's like, until we're looking back at it as like an historical retrospective at a game 10 years yeah. later or whatever, like that's the, that's the only time we ever get to hear about, you know, the, the human struggle that goes into making this stuff. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's just completely at odds with every other art form that that anyone's yeah. ever loved, right? Which just which just seems crazy. And you look at the level of kind of suspicion and mistrust that surrounded video games pretty much since they you know were were invented. You just think, God, just imagine if there was like a human face <laughs> that um, that people or, or even faces. Uh, right, that 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 you know that the public was able to have that that kind of relationship with in the way that they do with books and films and music and everything else. You you know you can't help thinking that maybe that ride would have been like a little bit easier. Um, so so yeah, so this idea that games are made by people was central to to the idea of Game City and I think we did before, which was about yeah, in, in, like inviting developers to come and just talk to the public. Uh, work with the public, do projects with each other, um, with people from other disciplines, and this really kind of unmedia, like like an arts festival. So it was an arts festival that happened to be about games, and I guess a couple of things that I was trying to challenge were, were were kind of that that idea that you could have a video game festival that wasn't E3, like the the model of it wasn't let's just try and give people games to play, you know, because you don't like all go to a book festival and just read books, right? Um, like there, there are there are other ways of engaging with what these things are, and that and that really was was yeah was what the festival was about was was kind of playing around and experimenting with 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 that idea, you know, of, of just trying to trying to find different ways of exploring. Um, well, so what are uh, what are sort of the interesting ways that you do that practically at, at something like a game city? Oh, we, we've done stupid things i mean they weren't all good so we did so we got okay so 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 things i mean we did it for like a decade but the things that leap out i think as being um 
I think kind of the the more interesting end were so that like the performance of video games was quite big for us. So we did um, Robin Hunnicky, who I'm, I'm sure you know uh, from that I game do. company, came over a few times. So she did uh, a live performance of Flower that we did in this um, Georgian shopping precinct at night, and all these kids were throwing these petals down at kind of late at night whilst she um, played Flower there. Um, so performances were big for us. I think we did a journey thing. We did we did a number of performances over the years. Um, we were very big on um, developers collaborating with other art forms. So one of the my favourite ones we did. After it wasn't massively successful, but I, it was super interesting. Was Eric um, Eric Shai, mm-hmm. um, Lord Eric um, did a project where he collaborated with a chef. Um, to 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 devise so stupid thinking back, uh, but to devise a play a playable meal. Um, <laughs> Boy, this, so, this um, food is out of this world. <laughs> absolutely, that was a strat. Like, do you know, if we'd said that at the time, it would have been so much better. That was what we. If only you'd been on the team at the time, Frank. <laughs> um, so, so he he was yeah he was working to kind of devise this meal that could be played. So we had this kind of anatropic like three D meal that they made just like one of the courses was just out of red and green um bits of like food and you wore is it it's anatropic is that right you know the 3d with the red and green is it anatropic um stereoscope no uh i don't know that one yes yeah the the red and green (laughs) so he did a thing with lots of kind of red and green foods as one of the courses and you know and uh, other bits of food kind of being unlocked by doing with other tables this kind of stuff so you're Um, you're applying video game design principles to to food making then is sort of the Thing, right? Well, kind of, yeah. It was like visual principles as well, um, okay. and yeah, and kind of courses throughout, and, and, and design principles throughout the, um, yeah, throughout, throughout the um, throughout the courses. Um, the I, I think the the what one of the and we did so lots of music and you know those kind of, like those kinds of events too. Um, lots of kind of different kinds of tours. Yeah, it's like what, performance seems like the low hanging fruit, right? Like perform the music, perform the gameplay, and then after that, you kind of have to get weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was that it was that kind of um, it was it was that kind of work um, that then ultimately for us then started to be about um, kind of commissioning work as well. So the, one of the last things we did in the last outdoor ones, we, we did this project called um, Two Big Screens, where we had these two big, uh, I don't know, like 15-foot LED screens. Um, and in, in Nottingham, which is the city where we, we did it, um, there's a big market square in the middle of town. And, and, we, and we invited um, a bunch of developers, but also we had this kind of open call thing, you come and put your stuff on it, to make games for these two big screens. Um, but the thing about the screens was they changed position every night. So um, the festival ran over like 10 days. So one day, you know, the screens might be back to back. One day, uh, one of them might be both on the floor and you could walk on them. One one day, one of them would be, you know, facing each other by the opposite ends of this massive square. So you've got these really kind of different um, kinds of games, um, you know, that really change the kind of public space. So So we were really interested in, you know, kind of interrupting public spaces and that sort of stuff in this kind of fun way, and, and inviting developers to, um, yeah, to you know, to do to to to, to make games for these different sort of spaces. Are these parties that they certainly at that point didn't tend to get invited to, right? Because because mm-hmm. you know the kind of new media art folks, many of whom had 
you know, doing really similar sorts of ideas to the things that the video game folks uh, are, are, are already doing. Um, but they drink in different bars, you know, and they don't tend to end up in the same, um, you know, that same sort of culture kind of frame. So, yeah, I guess dragging or inviting video games into that, um, you know, that sort of world was a thing that we tried to try to play around with a lot. And and some of it was great. That crossover is so obvious when you just think of things like, you know, Johann Sebastian Joust, right? Which is like, it's Absolutely. a, it's a yeah, funky yeah, yeah. new media project, but technically it right. is also a video game that you can acquire. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it comes back to that, just like confidence point, right? Is you got, you know, the, 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 the Fabric guys who, who like, who clearly like kind of like have an art school sensibility and like, and cause, cause that's what that is, right? Which is brilliant. And you can see that they, they know, how, like where that sits as a as a piece of public like public fun that can, you know can inter- that can interrupt like kind of ordinary spaces and that's great and it's you know and it's intoxicating and it's fun and it's you know it's all the things that you know that we know jazz to be um but the, and again i'm talking like five six years ago now but like back then that was the exception rather than the right. you know the, the kind of norm so so yeah so bringing games into those sort of spaces and and i guess showing people that they could make they they could they could make games too um in the same way that they might you know learn to play the ukulele or learn to learn to life draw for instance um or um or or any other kind of creative um endeavor it's analogous with that and, and i think you know the i know this is only really true in the last kind of decade but the you know the emergence of twines and game maker and unity and and uh and godo and all, you know all of these amazing engines that, that exist now um give people this this really accessible you know kind of lump of clay um where they can start to make like stuff not necessarily because they want to you know be in the industry but just because like making stuff is good for you you know and and learning how to do where we draw in sketchbooks at home or whatever i mean yeah yeah yeah. why shouldn't people be allowed to just kind of play with art and you know peel away the the commercial part of it totally yeah yeah, absolutely And, and and it's that like that sense of permission for people who aren't already involved in video games to think that like they could like certainly play, play them for a start. Like it's easy to assume that everyone thinks that, you know, they, they know how to access that first game for them to, you know, for, for them to play. And I, and I don't like this, this, this is way, you know, I'm, I'm probably describing something that's like five to 10 years out of date. Right. And, 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 and I, I, t- I totally accept. I think the games industry is far more inclusive and diverse now than it was, but um, you know, that, that, like that idea that you uh, still need some kind of permission from somebody or something to like to play them and certainly to kind of make them is still, I think, it's still still there a little bit. Um, so kind of liberating that whole like that whole culture from that is a, is a big kind of important part, I think, of the of the stuff that we you know that we try to do. So Game um, City. Game City ran for you know a decade or something like that. Is yeah. So how does that transition into the museum? Is the museum essentially a, a permanent gallery uh, from Game um, City, or is it something more than that? 
so so we, we we started what was originally the National Video Game Arcade in Nottingham, um, which flowed really naturally out of Game City because, like, you know, we kind of needed a roof. Um, it was, you know, anyone who's ever, I, I don't know if you guys have, have kind of worked on festivals or those sorts of events, and but they're, like, they're a whole load of fun to work on. They're brilliant, um, but it might rain, you know. Yeah. Um, so... So um, if you're doing an annual festival um, in October, um, there comes a point where the, like, I don't think we ever got to a, a kind of rinse and repeat um, format with it because it was always really, really different every year. But we did start to get to a point, I think, where there's only so much that you can do with a certain, you know, kind of civic space um, and a certain period of time um you know outdoors in october so we, we kind of felt the kinds of things we wanted to play around with that could burn a bit slower and you know could take um you could take a bit longer if 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 they weren't having to be constrained within you know the festival so so the idea of the national video game arcade um really came about initially as that to be this expression of i guess sort of everything i've just said within the um you know within the context of a of a bricks and mortar building that just gave it a bit like gave it a bit more gravity you know give it give it a front door give it all the things that um uh, institutions um like maybe need to be able to have a certain kind of conversation and uh, and we we've done we've done bits of work in preservation um before then like three or four years earlier james uh, newman as i said and i were involved in um, helping to found the National Video Game Archive in the UK, um, which was a kind of loose collection of game stuff that a few of the other museums had. Um, really just putting a kind of frame around that. Um, but that was just before the, um, what year would that have been, like 2008 crash, where all the money ran out for the first time. And, um, you know, all, all the museums were kind of, were kind of cut back. So... Um, so that that kind of stayed in in, in kind of limbo, really, um, creating the opportunity to think like to think about what a museum might be, which is which pretty much brings us to where we are now. Yeah, um, a museum that can ask, I guess, the sort of questions that we feel capable of thinking about. Um, you know, so 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 they're not about digital preservation um, in that in you know the sense that we talked about before, but they, but they are absolutely about. How do we use those tools? Um, how do we use the uh, you know the things that we do have to to hopefully tell interesting stories about um, about people's experiences with games? And I think you guys are really. I mean, you're in a unique position compared to sort of the the museums that we have that deal in video games here in the United States, at least, which you know, still very valuable, but sort of come out of a, a collector mindset where they're gathering the artifacts and then figuring out right. the stories to tell. Um, and you guys are sort of taking the opposite approach. You know, you're trying, you're figuring out the stories. And then if you need, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you need something to help illustrate that for an exhibit, that's when you get it, I assume, uh, so much or more so than having a uh, giant collection you've yeah, we're, we're mapped um, over the years of, of rare things, right? Yeah, that's that, you're you're right. I've not really thought about that, but you're right. We're kind of like a reverse museum. Um, we we totally like very much started from how do we how do we explain and talk about and and the collection absolutely was was kind of built or it was being built. Um, yeah, you know, kind of around that. Yeah, abs- absolutely. That's 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 what we're that's that's what we're we're trying to do. So I mean. 
you're not a fan obviously of uh the sort of E3 aesthetic, right. Of, of just put out oh, the playbook and let people figure it out. Um, so I'm just kind of wondering that what's that. Sorry. I, I thought I, I was, that was a weak joke. So I, I, I didn't mean to seem um, like that, but no, you're right. I'm not, I'm not a fan. Of that. <laughs> well, at least you're not, I mean, you might be at, at peace with it, but it's not, it's not the, the kind of thing you want to create in the world, obviously. So, um, have copycat E3s, you know, we've got packs and sure, sure, sure. <laughs> no, I, Look, and I, those I, things are just, yeah, and those things are great and they have their place. And I'm, you know, it's just so I don't immediately get, um, oh, absolutely. So, <laughs> yeah, the ESA is not going to take offense, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I, the, the question though is, is just what would one expect walking into the National Video Game Museum? Well, when we first opened, <laughs> this, is a, this is a good question. It's one for our marketing team. And I'll be honest with you, it is one that is, that is I think, still um, uh, still, it's still a question we can't, I don't, I don't think we've answered adequately yet. When, when we opened the first NVA, right? And this is, you're absolutely right, what would one expect? So what a lot of people would expect, I can report, is every game that they can remember from when they were kids. And basically they would expect a version of E3 because they want to play all the games, right? And they want to be able to, they want the Star Wars cabinet, um, you know, from, 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 from the early eighties. They want, um, they want everything that they can remember um, in order to, to, to play from their experience of what, you know, what video games were. That, and that is not like, we, we can't be that. We don't want to be that, but also we like, we can't be that. Um, so you get this really interesting um, challenge, and I have to I, like, and I don't think we've resolved this at all. Um, but there's a really interesting challenge and sort of tension where there is an expectation that there's going to be lots of stuff to play. That is not unreasonable, given it's a national game museum, right? Um, but also, how like how 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 do we begin to interpret? Um, what those things are through means other than other than just you playing them for all the reasons we talked about earlier. So and also you know like there are a lot of games that can't be played in a museum. Like we did we did an exhibition about Football Manager a couple of years ago, right? You can't play Football Manager in a visit to a museum. It's crazy. You know it, it it's not it's 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 not a thing that the experience of playing it um, can explain to any visitor in a. You know, even if they stayed there all day, right? They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna struggle to really come to terms with understanding what what football manager kind of is and what it means. So, so you know, it turns back to this thing of not being hostage to having to play, having necessarily to play stuff. But you know, there is an expectation because they're about video games, and families will turn up with you know with the kids at, at uh, you know on the school holidays and, and and want something to do, and the kids, the kids probably do also want to play some games as well as, you know, like discuss football manager. Um, so uh, we didn't discuss it, to be clear. You know what I'm saying? Um, so okay. like, fi- like finding ways of interpreting games whilst also, um, of, you know, offering an experience that at least, like at least meets um, uh, people's expectations of engagement, like whatever that might be, is 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 a challenge, right? I think for anyone who's got the word video games, video games above the door, that's trying to be something that isn't, um, you know, isn't an arcade. Or really, even if it is an arcade, it's hard enough. Um, but that's, you know, that that's kind of our um, 
that's that, that that is the daily question that haunts me, Frank. Um, of absolutely, what do they expect, and what should it be that we're we're trying to provide? Um, and I guess we are trying to um, we we we're trying to do both. We, we're trying to give people an experience that is um, that is playful, that is kind of transparent in the sense of seeing like seeing how, like how it works. That is inspirational, um, but is also but is also entertaining. Um, because people are paying a you know cinema ticket price uh, and hopefully gonna hopefully gonna spend the day with us. So so working out how to um, how to identify what those stories might be, how how to like enabling people to this is James's expression rather than mine, but that, that ex- enabling people to play with video games rather than necessarily to play video games mm. is is a, is a kind of key. Uh, sort of aspiration of, of, of you know of what we're of, of what we're trying to what we're trying to make that was that was a partial ducking of your question i think maybe but i, did, <laughs> I, did, I didn't like i didn't mean it to be um but, but it's, but, yeah. it's a conversation that we have often i mean we 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 are not a museum we, we don't have any ambition to be we we do pop up exhibits occasionally right. at shows, and so we we you know discuss this a lot but we also i don't know it's 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 such an interesting thing to think about and you know, I'm thinking about now, gosh, I can't remember the name of this traveling exhibit. Can you remember? <laughs> the one no, that- I was going to bring that up too. The one that we saw in, uh, it was Minneapolis or St. Paul. Yeah. Was it Game On? Uh, was that it? It was-, it was like, it had something to do with, they were trying to tell the stories of the creators. So it was something about like the, the creators behind or something like that. Um, I think it was Game On. Was- yeah. Was so- it? Okay. So it, the, it was an exhibit where they would sort of put the name of a person in neon lights and it would be an exhibit right. about them. Um, and there might be a couple like artifacts next to their name. And then it'd be like, you know, the, the sort of E3 exhibit, like just here's the game. And, and um, you know, that that's something like I found that exhibit fascinating as like, <laughs> and and I do not mean this offensively at all, but like, as 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 a as a as the sort of weird stepping stone to what i think ultimately a video game museum can be uh yeah because it's still like this awkward growing phase where it's like yeah yeah yeah. people make it right and but i mean just for example i'm remembering the will wright thing it's just like will wright's name you know like maybe a video clip of him talking uh, right. A reproduction of a completely incomprehensible notebook of his. Like, <laughs> just you, you know, always, just, no, notebooks. There's always notebooks, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and then just like here's Sim City. You know, like no one's going to sit down and yeah. play Sim City. <laughs> yeah. Or like Deus Ex was on there too. Like I mean, oh yeah, like the original yeah. System Shock, right? Like which yeah. nobody knows how to play by just sitting down. And, <laughs> and yeah. I mean, you know, to your point about the expectations of people, I think this is really we're in sort of the uh, the growing phase here in between people believing that they need to have the whole game there to play. I mean, I don't think this is an expectation of other types of museums. I mean, do you go to a car museum with the expectation that you're going to be able to drive a bunch of cars? You know, so video games are maybe somewhere, they're in this weird growing in-between stage, I think, where... Surely, I mean, of course, you have to have something that is playful and playable. But I mean, just having the entire game there in the case of really anything beyond the early arcade and NES and that sort of right. thing is very. Um, it's not the 
intended experience of those games. And right. I, I want to clarify the, the exhibit was Game Changers, not Game On. Ah, yeah. Game Changers. That was the one that started in Melbourne, right? The, um, I believe so. I think. I'm yeah. very quickly trying to research this as we talk. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think it was the um, AI, uh, I can't remember the name of the institution, ISH. Um, yeah, like like completely. And, and, and we're a stepping stone too, right? We, we don't have any well we you know we have we have some things that might be answers but wouldn't pretend for a moment to you know to understand and i think you're totally right frank this is a this is a this is a and going to continue to be for some years i'm sure like a moment where we're trying out and rehearsing these different approaches um like there's a thing it's just one thing that we might be interested to mention is we, so we do a lot with emulation uh partially for kind of obvious reasons because the only way that some things can be played but but also, there's there's a we, we have an exhibition about bonus levels um, at the moment in the galleries, um, which are in it, like they're they're an interesting kind of design conceit of what games are. Um, but the only way we can um, show visitors, or, or rather, if we didn't have emulation, we wouldn't be able to just immediately send people to a right just jump into the right. yeah. 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 So, so emulation as a tool for interpretation and a way of us, like you say, not not having to go through all the Street Fighter until you get to the bit where you beat up the car because you may never get there. Being able to just hit a button, load that snapshot, and show people that like this is what this level is about, like the ability to, I guess, to some extent, like I don't mean this quite as literally, but the ability to quote and to move people to a oh. specific moment is really, really important if you are ever going to start to get into the detail of, you know, of, 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 of being able to talk about an object in the way that you would expect to if, again, if you were talking about whatever, really, Sergeant, back to Sergeant Pepper again. But, but you know, but being able to, to identify those moments and develop uh, techniques for different ways of thinking about different affordances of what, you know, games could be is like that. Like, for me, that's like, that's the battleground. Once, once, once you accept that you can't, you know, as you say, play SimCity meaningfully in that gallery. Okay, so what are you going to do there? We could just never get it out at all, or we can begin to take it to pieces, in, you know, in, in, in different ways. That's, of course, where the lawyers um, immediately scream up <laughs> in their cars outside <laughs> the museum, uh, and that's where you get back into cultural confidence and all, all of those things. I know you're very familiar with this stuff as well, but, like, but, that's, but that's, that's the battleground. Um, and that's, I think, where the really interesting, um, you know, in- interesting progress is is hopefully um, hopefully going to get made. It's such a powerful tool. I mean, I've, uh, I mean, save states and emulation and things like that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I use that in commercial work even. So I, I right. worked on a project called Mega Man Legacy Collection, which is, you know, sort of meant to be a virtual museum uh, explaining right. Mega Man. Um, and we had a mode in there where, uh, we would just throw you into the different interesting parts of the games so that you could mm-hmm. consume them without going through the traditional, you know, load yeah, the yeah, game, yeah. watch the intro, press start. Like, like, you know, we let you just jump right into the boss fights and things like that because that's because it's not 1987 anymore. You know, we're not sitting in a yeah, living but... room with a game for a month. <laughs> you know, playing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Let's, uh, I, I felt it was important to sort of, you know, explain uh, the museum's philosophies and its backgrounds and things before we 
sort of circle back to Animal Crossing, right? So, sure. uh, so you've been collecting stories, uh, yeah. And the idea, I, I suppose, would be to um, expose these in some interesting way eventually, right? Yeah, and, and, we, and we didn't know what we were going to get. Um, so, other than uh, you know, the, the the initial interesting way is is going to be through you know through, through a screen, possibly through a website, but certainly through a screen. Um, we we didn't really have any, um, and still don't actually, I should say, have any real presupposition about what's going to be because we didn't know if we were going to get you know terabytes of film captured or essays or just pictures or you know, you, don't, you don't know what the kind of balance of the kind of themes and stuff that come in would be. So. So we're just starting um, in the last kind of week or so to start to take stock of what you know what's come in so far, um, and just beginning to think about okay, so what is it we're gonna what, what is it we're gonna how, how we're gonna begin to to talk about this and tell you know and and, and tell these stories. Um, and I, I guess there's been some interesting things in the Animal Crossing world, um, like particularly. Um, the usage guidelines, um, you know, from a couple months ago that, you know, Nintendo then came out with, um, obviously mainly for business organizations, but also starts to speak to a, um, you know, a, a potential mediation of what this thing is, which is, you know, which is going to impact, I think, on, on some of the stories that we, you know, that, that, that we might tell um, with that, you know, with that new backdrop around it too. Oh, that might be so, an interesting um, place to take it, right? Is like who owns these stories? Yeah, right. So you kind of, you know, it, so, you know, back in April, and we, we, everyone was sort of super excited and, and continue to be right about Animal Crossing BA. If, if, okay, let, let, let's just, and I don't, I don't mean to skip past this because it's like not interesting, but if we skip past the, this is a interesting place where we can keep in touch with our families and we can meet and, you know, and, and it kind of maintains some sort of social persistence when the rest of the world is, you know, has kind of gone crazy. Like that's really, really valuable. Cool. Um, but it's also the kind of easiest sort of part to express, um, you know, before we kind of get into the individual stories of those, the, like the activation of animal crossing as a site of resistance, you know, both in terms of, um, the Hong Kong independence protests, the pride celebrations, um, BLM, um, the, uh, you know, its site within the American elections, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and that earlier on last year was, um, uh, was inc- like, incre- not that it's not incredibly exciting now, but it was kind of incredibly exciting in this kind of interestingly sort of, sub- or f- felt perhaps like a slightly subversive use of, um, you know this this most kind of wholesome of of of, of kind of IPs and places to yeah, the point Nintendo, where, which is you know probably the least political video game company, although all of them claim to have no politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, and you know to the point where then they need to issue in November this you know this usage guidance about um, about refraining from bringing politics you know kind of kind of kind of into this game, and, and like and we're not. A million miles away here from the discussions about publishers and platforms, you know that, that have been happening with um, with Twitter and Facebook, right? I mean, uh-huh. it's it's we haven't got to travel that much further to be having that discussion. So that you know, it's, it's these these kinds of um, 
these 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 kind of like ch- I guess sort of changes in the landscape around the game in the last few months. I think are like I think are really really interesting too. Um, I, I don't think we've had many people talk about those so far in the um, you know in the submissions that we've had, but it's 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 going to get more interesting before it gets less interesting, right? That stuff, um, in t- you know, in terms of how an organization like Nintendo like begins to begins to deal with that. Um, right. I mean, they kept their the even their new updated terms of use or whatever. I mean, it's still very vague language, yeah, um, yeah. which leaves it completely still open to interpretation to how that's going to be enforced and moderated, and you know, and I I haven't seen. Like, I don't think there was like a takedown of the Biden island. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think yeah, that they actually acted on any of this stuff. And it's just sort of kept this weird, vague language in there. So it'll be interesting to see if there are actual developments in that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but yeah, for like for us, you know, the, the, the dominant themes, I guess, so far have been like, like, like certainly um friendship and family and people being able to um people being able to keep in touch that uh, as you'd expect that's been that's been really really important there's been a i suppose for me personally i've been surprised at how um how many people have found meaning within animal crossing as a site for uh for for expressing grief in some way um Either as a memorial for a family member or a pet, or a place to um, to kind of uh, to 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 pay tribute. Um, but there's been uh, a few people have made kind of remem- remembrance gardens that they sent documentation off with a you know accompanying um, like accompanying text describing it. It 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 being a um, a, a a place, and I, I obviously kind of. In in the in the most sort of you know kind of profound sense of what that means, as well as the you know the kind of virtual um, sort of metaphor of what the island is, but it being a place where um, complicated and difficult uh, feelings like like grief, which is kind of come up a lot, um, can which maybe not so surprising during a pandemic, right? But but you know that can be can be expressed has been that that I think that's surprised me, like me a little bit. Um, in terms of you know the I guess the sort of capacity that this um, piece of proprietary software um, has to yeah. to enable and contain it. Sorry. Oh no, no, I was I was just going to say, and I wonder how much of this is sort of informed by what's possible in the game itself, because the mm. there is there are like grave marker furniture items to this game there are like coffins right. and stuff. that is not something that was in previous animal crossing titles you could not put a tombstone outside um right. so the fact that there is now an item like that seems to be specifically made for that purpose i mean i it's interesting to me that people kind of immediately latch on to you know they see they see an item like that and now they can create a these expressions of grief that you know you might have still been possible before in the form of you know there's there's pattern making in the game and stuff you could have gotten creative but i mean there's like a very obvious 
tool in the game now that to me it's like that's what this is for this is for you know for expressing grief or i don't know maybe making a spooky pumpkin patch or something but that that was my interpretation of it at least and i think that's really interesting for a game like animal crossing yeah it's that sense of it being a tool right Uh, like you say and it's it's now become a it it, it's become a more articulate tool than it was previously and and, and it allows its inhabitants to express more complex and different uh yeah and and different things with it but that yeah that idea of of um uh, there's always yeah kind of kind of like pragmatic i I don't mean that quite as coldly as that but i mean but but look but 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 it's like it's 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 like it's useful, as in that in that sense because there there is a there is a like a really clear um, line that flows there so people being aware of the um, and they might necessarily use this language or sometimes they do but like the, like the therapeutic benefit of, um, of 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 being in this game of 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 the interactions that they're having of the things that they're able to build in the in the mark as the you know the monuments that they're able to create like it's um like it's quite it's quite big stuff you know it's not um it's um it's it's um it's the sort of discussion that you know we would have about um about uh, about art what i find kind of interesting about this project is that um something i often bring up in discussions and interviews, stuff like that is uh, when talking about how to preserve a game, I often bring up Farmville because Farmville is one of those games where it's like, well, technically there's a game that you could like click on and play and stuff. But really what Farmville was, was this, I mean, it's like Pokemon go, I guess would be another great example. It was more of a communal moment uh, than a video game. And, um, you know, the, what's interesting to me about Animal Crossing is that it does continue to exist as a video game. It will continue to exist as a physical cartridge that you can play on right. a Switch until those are gone. And yet, yeah, and, and I mean that like unlike Farmville, like I, I don't think I can access a playable Farmville right yeah. now. Yeah. But and yet it's just it's not really the game, even if, even if you do play it. So this is I don't know to me, this w- what attracted us to this topic and and made us want to talk to you i think is that um kind of like i alluded to earlier this this seems to be you know like an early attempt at what video game preservation ultimately is going to be is going to be stuff like this i'm pretty sure um you know it's an approach and i i wonder like the, the thing that i and i have no idea what the answer to this is but if i was nintendo I think, and I had people um, uh, like extracting and creating this amount of 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 of, of kind of meaning. I'd sue them a... all. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I mean, that was giving me my second point after I said, <laughs> um, like, how they, how that, how, the, how like, how they capture that. And how they might document that, and how they might think about that, um, you know, in, internally. Um, I, I like. I would just be really fascinated to know um, what, like, ha- like how that is playing out in Kyoto. Because, because, yeah. like, it's probably not an accident. 
right? <laughs> that that people are able to feel the way that they do inside this this thing. Like Animal Crossing, I don't know, I can't remember what iteration of it we're on now, but it's it's like we said before, it's it's done on purpose, you know, by incredibly skilled and and sensitive you know people i'm I'm not saying that to suggest that there's a you know like a a darkness about that i'm talking about the you know the the, like the skill and the kind of artfulness in it so but like like how do you how do you how do you understand that to be able to create this um you know this this thing in this way um yeah it's 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 like one of the interesting preservation questions. We like we talk about this a lot when you talk to the industry about well why should well why should we care right because the only reason we would care about our old IP is if we can you know monetize a kind of greatest hits retro version of um, you know of, of, of whatever in a decade's time as you know, as a bundle, um, and and it's that sense of, well, you know that's that's true and you could still like you can still have that, but um, rather than just needing to you know download the ROMs from from the internet because you forgot to uh, you forgot to preserve them like maybe there's some other value to understanding um, this you know these things that you're making uh, above, above and beyond the um, you know the the, the 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 sort of IP value not not to demean that because that is obviously important but I, like I, it, it's interesting to begin to I suppose sort of try and think about it in those terms. Well, I think the other the other part of it, too, is, I mean, you can kind of have a little bit of both of those worlds, you know, satisfying the yeah. monetary value of the IP and also that something might be culturally important, because guess what? If your IP is culturally important, it's valuable. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, preserving these things just because you want to keep them, uh, you know, well remembered and uh, yeah. talked about and discussed in the public eye, I mean... It's not a, it's not as easy easy to track as just re-releasing a game and selling it again. But it's still part of keeping your uh, your franchise, your IP, or whatever valuable. So even, I mean, even if that's all you're concerned about, there's still reasons to care about preserving the uh, the greater the greater culture around your game. Yeah, completely. I, and I think that's the thing that, like, I I know that I. And by extension, you know the sort of museum and our community like need, need to be better at, because it's like it's easy to sound like you know, um, I, I don't need money, and I you know I don't I don't I exist outside of capitalism, and um, uh, you know, and and we should all just do this stuff just like just for love, um, and and we, and we can't, and, and, and I'm not suggesting that we should, and I, and I think we do need to. I'm sure like bit like bend slightly closer to the people who are the stakeholders in this stuff. And, you know, in the literal, you know, kind of legal sense, like we, like we have to, um, but we can, you know, and I think it's, and I think there, you know, the last few years starting to meet people within larger publishers who are archivists, like who are starting to be employed for that purpose. Cause I think now, and it's probably like just a very human thing that now many of the people that began some of these bigger companies now are looking back and thinking about legacy and thinking about, well, actually, maybe this needs to be, you know, encoded in a way that's, uh, you know, like, like appropriate to what we think we might, we might have achieved. Like maybe this was, maybe, you know, maybe this is more important than it possibly seemed at the time, you know, and, and, and I find that really, encouraging and it's like because this can't this can't just be 
the work of you know of of of, of people like us like it, it has to be it has to be um with the um yeah like like willing collaboration rather well, than we'd just, never catch up if it was only up to right if it was only up to the historians and the archivists and that sort of thing i mean we would yeah, just yeah, catch up yeah. <laughs> exactly. we only had the stolen source code and not you know the officially <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah i think i think it's a good place to end this conversation um Ian, thank you so much for joining us on the Video Game History Hour. Where can people find out more about the museum and yourself? Uh, people can find out about the museum at thenvm.org, so the National Video Game Museum.org. Um, everything about the Animal Crossing Project um, can be found on there. Um, we're on Twitter as uh, thenvmuk, uh, and I'm uh, at Ian Simons, I-I-N-S-I-M-O-N-S. Um, and we, we would love people to get involved if people have uh, stories, experiences, uh, media, uh, anything as we, we we kind of talked about that that you know that, that's that's about their experience of Animal Crossing during this extraordinary year. Um, we would love to hear what you have to say about it. So please do get involved. All right, thank you very much, Ian. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Video Game History Hour, brought to you by the Video Game History Foundation. If you have questions or comments for the show, you can find us on Twitter at Game History Hour or email us at podcast at gamehistory.org. Did you know the Video Game History Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit and that all of your contributions are tax deductible? You can support this podcast and all of our other work on Patreon or at gamehistory.org donate. This episode of the Video Game History Hour was produced by Robin Kunamune and edited by Michael Carroll. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Music